Hi, and welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our weekly look at the Catholic intellectual tradition and an exploration of the author's books and topics that have shaped Catholic thinking for 2,000 years. My name is Jason Gale, and I'm joined this week by Dr. Benjamin Smith, our lecturer in philosophy, and our current lecturer in epistemology, which we're covering, uh, which we're going through right now. So I want to invite our listeners uh, to go over to Catholic Studies Academy, check out all of our philosophy and theology classes uh, that we have over there. Uh, and if you're a new listener, just in case, um, what we've done is we've taken um, kind of the, the subjects and the topics and the courses that you'd find like at a four-year university if you were majoring in philosophy and theology. And what we've done is we, we've uh, condensed the classes to cover the same subjects and topics. Yeah, not in as much detail, but we provide further reading and our professors are available to you to guide you through any further uh, uh, discovery and study of, of all these topics. And so we, at Catholic Studies Academy, we really want to bridge that gap between the solid catechesis you may find at a parish and uh, going off and getting a four-year degree or a master's degree or something like that. We want to fill that gap both uh, intellectually and financially. Uh, so check us out over there. Uh, today our topic is going to be, uh, we're going to look at one of the authors. It's going to be uh, Roger Scruton. Uh, and we're going to look particularly at one of his books, um, The Idea of Pessimism. And uh, But before we do that, you know, Roger Scruton, he, he passed away recently, and uh, he was an author of over 50 books. He was a political philosopher, uh, English political philosopher. Um, uh, he wrote uh, extensively in aesthetics, political philosophy, mm-hmm. traditional conservative views, uh, he also wrote novels, and he even wrote two operas, which uh, I just found out, which was uh, quite astounding. Uh, um, quite a, a, a list of accomplishments uh, for Sir Roger Scruton. Um, but I do want to point one of our listeners, uh, our listeners, if you're if you're taking you know Doctor Smith's um, metaphysics class, uh, mm-hmm. uh, 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 Roger Scruton has a book called "I Drink, Therefore I Am." <laughs> and uh, uh, in that book, in that book, he he pairs certain um, wines with philosophers, uh, and, I, and I'm sure this is going to be a great point of um, departure with with Dr. Smith. But when he's talking about Aristotle, Dr. Smith, I don't know if you know this, when he's talking about yeah. Aristotle, he says, uh, if you're uh, to read one of the driest books ever written, you need plenty of water. <laughs> so, so he recommends that you read uh, or that you drink water while while uh, reading the metaphysics it's not until nicomachean <laughs> ethics yeah. and stuff yeah <laughs> it may be true that may be true uh, i will i will concede that aristotle's metaphysics is pretty dry um but but i'll, I'll counter with this point i'm stealing this phrase from someone else sure uh that, that <clears throat> although uh aristotle's metaphysics uh may be dry it's dry uh in the same way that, that, that gold dust is dry. You know? <laughs> dry yeah, that's as good. gold dust. Yeah, so there you go. <laughs> that's good. All right, well, let's hop into it. So uh, uh, Sir Roger Scruton, he wrote a book called uh, The Idea of Pessimism. Uh, and Dr. Smith, you've uh, uh, you've read some of uh, um, Sir Roger Scruton's material, his books. Uh, um and so uh, why don't you get us started and get us kind of introduced into this, uh, uh, which, which, by the way, I just love the title of that. It just sounds, it makes <laughs> yeah, me so feel better the, about myself being the, kind the of a pessimist. The title here is uh, uh, The Uses of Pessimism and the Danger of False Hope. Uh, here, I'll, I'll hold this up and take a minute for the camera to adjust, but yeah, uh, 
You'll see that there's an ice cream cone <laughs> that someone has dropped and it's melting on the pavement. Poor child, right? some poor child. Yeah, so at this point, it's, oh, that's so, that's so depressing. But part of the point is, you know, like just some of life is that way. Yeah. And, you know, while well, wouldn't, you know, he, he qualifies a lot, you know, in, in this work, you know, one wouldn't want to only think about dropped ice cream cones, right? Yeah. Um, or the downside. Right, that's just a symbol of the downside. Um, nevertheless, it's it it it's um, unreasonable, really, mm-hmm. to only think of the upside. Right? Yeah, and and while there is probably a certain psychological advantage to being um, up to a point, a certain psychological advantage to thinking positively and not dwelling on the downside. At the same time, ignoring the downside is probably just not practical or rational or logical right yeah or healthy and, and, right yeah right in the long and in the long run actually will probably damage our effectiveness right uh even at a, at a practical level uh before we get into all this just a couple of things here first uh i'm not an expert in larger scrutiny uh if you're working in political philosophy though at all which i am <clears throat> you're at least going to be familiar with his thought generally he's regarded as a conservative um and he's cons- considered a conservative of the Edmund Burke uh, kind of school of conservatism. So um, the, you know, if you're, there's different sort of strains of conservatism, especially in American intellectual life, or we we'll call it the English speaking world, maybe, um, you know, some of it goes, uh, comes out of Leo Strauss. Uh, some of it comes out of a kind of more libertarian strain, like a classical liberalism kind of strain. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there's also the Edmund Burke kind of strain, which is very much a kind of an English um, version of conservatism. You can find other versions, uh, similar things on the continent. But he's very much a, a, on that side of things, uh, where he speaks very explicitly about the importance of tradition and community yeah. uh, as, as really sort of pillars of uh, political life. Uh, American conservatives do sometimes appeal to tradition, you know, <clears throat> they don't use that word tradition, but, you know, uh, appeal to older ways, um, <clears throat> but less so towards uh, community, you might say. Uh, but this book, so I was interested in this book, uh, one, because I'm interested in the philosophy of Arthur Schopenhauer, mm. who is a metaphysical pessimist, um, and so he's just an interest. Schopenhauer is just a fascinating and interesting writer uh, and thinker. He's deeply wrong i think ultimately <laughs> yeah but he is fascinating and scruton has a lot of interest in him but also because uh, uh, uh from what i had read this is an important book an important theme in political philosophy mm-hmm. so there are two kind of controlling ideas that are at work in this book so this isn't laid out like a systematic treatise yeah. it's more here are some main ideas and then here's some applications of those ideas so I'll try to lay out a couple of main ideas, and then um, we can jump in um, uh, to, to to thinking about those. And uh, so the the first, uh, I'll just go with three of them, sure. right? And the the first one I've already discussed, uh, we've already just mentioned here, and that is paying attention to the downside, right? Mm-hmm. That is that, that there are life does include suffering, <laughs> and life does include failure and life does include complications and in fact one of the things he really wants to focus on is the idea that is that human beings and societies are complicated Mm -hmm. and if you try to 
oversimplify that situation, what you end up doing is falsifying it. Right. So um, one of the things you just, he, he thinks you just really have to kind of accept, right, um, in order to think with maturity, is that the people are kind of complicated uh, and flawed. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, I mean, does that, that make sense, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it reminds me of uh, um, in one of uh, Dr. Kelly's classes where he was just talking about, <clears throat> like, today the idea that is, is common and for good reason, you know, the idea that people are just generally good all of the time. Like, like, you know, that's, and not that Dr. Buzakelli was saying that's wrong and a stupid idea or something like that, but he was saying that that is a fairly new idea in the history of ideas, uh, um, that, that, that wasn't always the case that, that people were, people thought everybody else was generally good and people were generally good or something, you know, that, that wasn't always the case. And so many of the things that we kind of just take for granted in our own, kind of worldview or outlook with, with regards to um, human nature um, are, right. are fairly new ideas. Um, mm-hmm. And they and they may be not necessarily flawed, but, you know, kind of in this case, they may be painted with a, a, a tint of uh, rose. You know what I mean? Like, right, <laughs> right, yeah, right, right, yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, this is the thing. This should just be verified by yeah. our experience as individual even as in, at an individual level even just of ourselves right, right. i mean if we're honest right I mean, we should just kind of like you know do i know human beings are flawed i just need to look in the mirror yeah. um and, and, and you'll kind of figure that out uh if you don't have that conclusion then you're probably deluded uh and, you know um and, and there's a sort of deeper problem there uh so one is just just straight up recognizing right the the imperfections and the complexities of uh human beings Another one, which I think is kind of interesting, and I, I agree with him on, I, for the most part, um, I have a little hesitation with, but is the tendency we have to move from a first-person singular perspective mm-hmm. to a first-person plural perspective without noticing the difference, mm. right? Interesting. So, yeah, so he says not everything, so when you think about the first-person singular, you're thinking about the I, right? Right. That's the... You know um, the perspective of um, you know in a novel where the person's saying things like "I did this" or "I did that." Um, that's that's the first person singular. Um, the um, that's a fine perspective, and that's a perspective that we're often working with, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and when we make our plans about that from that perspective, so let's say you know, like you're you're trying to purchase something, right? Mm-hmm. Or you're trying to get some money together to, to invest in, in something or, 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 or something of that nature, right? Or maybe you're just trying to lose weight or something, right? You start thinking, okay, well, I want to do this. Um, there might be some complexity in your personality about how badly you want to do it, <laughs> right? Um, but you know, relatively, you're speaking, you're, you're talking about yourself and things over which you have some control Mm-hmm. Right. And and you can sort of plan to overcome the obstacles that are in the way. You can identify those obstacles, control your actions in order to achieve your goals. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, even just at the level of the individual, it's way more complicated than that. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Let's say you may want to, to lose weight, but you may also not want to abstain from the second piece of pecan pie. 
And that's a problem, right? So just even at the individual level, right? Achieving our goals is not as easy as it might sound on the out, like just sure, sure. on the surface, right? Yeah. Um, but then we can kind of shift over from that to the we perspective, right? And that's always when you know, like that's a little more complicated than people think. Like, I know this is going to sound flippant at first, but you know who, who we who, right? Like, <laughs> like, what we am I being included in, and who am I including in the we when I state it? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, can you follow me? So, um, you know, can we say we Americans? Yeah. I mean, in some ways, I think we can, like from a maybe legal, technical legal perspective, right? Sure. But if I say we Americans believe in God. <laughs> you know, yeah, who, who's say, we, white I, man? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if I say, like, we hold these truths to be self-evident. Really? Yeah. Like, right. who's, the, who's the we there, right? Um, and, 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 you know, immediately it becomes much more complicated Notice the word complicated arises here when you start thinking about, well, what goals are we going to achieve, right? Yeah. And then, because for, for one thing is, well, what goals do we have together? Right? <laughs> you know, right? So. Yeah, and this should be, and this should be totally easy for anybody who's watched the news for more than 10 minutes today (laughs) like understand like when you have you know both both of our political parties saying you know we both like they're both saying we stand for the values of americans well uh what what do you mean like Like, which americans yeah (laughs) yeah y'all are saying opposite things but you're both stating that you know the that royal we you know that that that's right you know it's it's everybody we we talk for the americans well yeah yeah, and there, and there might be, you know, kind of, uh, we've just, you and I have discussed this some in the past, there might be kind of, um, and this is a, a, a further topic, but, you know, there might be a, a level at which we could talk about kind of tribal identities from a sociological perspective. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, in which we could use the word we, but those those are slices, right? Especially in our kind of complicated modern societies, Right. Those are slices of the broader community, right? Yeah. So it's important. He's not saying that the, the we perspective is illegitimate. He just thinks that we need to be very careful and aware of the fact when we switch from the I to the we, or when we switch from the kind of small subset kind of tribal loyalties we might have, right? Um, uh, the, where we can really speak of a we, right, uh, to the broader society, right? Yeah. A good example of this is how do you react to the recent um, uh, right to bear arms rally in Virginia, right? You know, people are going to react to that very differently. Some people look at that and see all those people with firearms and they it just totally freaks them out. And they're like, this is the word, this is, these are fanatical weirdos. Like, how could they, how could they be like that? The other people, you know, like myself, I see law-abiding people exercising their rights. There were no, you know, no acts of violence done that day. Yeah, it was was a completely peaceful rally. It was racially diverse. I mean, it was actually um, completely, you know, fine from my perspective. And I, but I'm speaking from a certain we that's not a kind of we that includes New York City, San Francisco, yeah, Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm Texan, and I mean. You know, and from a Texan perspective, we just call that Monday. My wife's Canadian. 
my wife's Canadian, so I mean, while while you know we have similar political views, it's still like not a normal thing to see that. So so it's so yeah. So I mean, it is one of the it it is uh, one of those things where you know when you talk about the we, yeah, you do you do need to at least acknowledge mm-hmm. that it that it is it is very limited, and so yeah, definitely be you know. We need to be careful in how we use it, and yeah, I think yeah, it's, it's smart not to throw it around. Yeah, and from a political social perspective, right? He wants to say, look, the we is just not homogeneous. Yeah, and part of effective political thinking involves the recognition that I've gone from a homogeneous I, right, to a to a heterogeneous we. Yeah, right. Uh, which there's a lot of difference uh, wrapped in there. And then the, the probably the. The most important controlling idea. So the first one was, you know, just flawed human being, flawed, any perfections of human beings. The second one uh, um, idea has to do with the difference between the I perspective and the we perspective. And the third idea uh, is really kind of the core, which is pessimism versus the unscrupulous optimist, right? Or the naive optimist. So the pessimist, the way he puts it is the pessimist um, recognizes the complexity of social and political life mm-hmm. and recognizes uh, the limitations on human satisfaction. So that what makes it so the way he's defining pessimist, right, is that there is a an irreducible and insurmountable complexity to political and social life uh, and that there are um, limitations to human satisfaction that we must recognize in order to be mature mm-hmm. and that we should recognize and value in order to be good. Um, so I think it's a good observation. Yeah. Now, you know, just for, uh, you know, is this, is this, could you call his kind of uses of pessimism kind of trying to be more of a realist sure i think that's fair yeah uh i mean i think i mean he says he said in several interviews subsequent to the book's publication before he his um uh before his death that, that you know i mean you could just say it's a it's being a really rigorous realist um but it, it means you know here's the thing it does mean embracing suffering to a certain degree yeah right and i think that's why he likes the term pessimism and that even sort of seeing that some suffering is actually part of our human good <laughs> uh he, 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 like which sounds weird right yeah like, the suffering you might experience in accepting a limitation say accepting limitation financially um sexually um socially actually might often contribute to your good, right? The right. goodness of your life, right? The flourishing. He has a really interesting idea, and I, I don't want to get too far on this, but he actually thinks that, that, and he gets this from Schopenhauer, that a lot of what makes life dear and precious is our recognition of its limitations and mortality in particular. Mm. Um, and yeah. that, I, interesting, he thinks we wouldn't be as happy if we didn't sort of frame our lives against mortality. Now he's not trying to, to make any statements about an afterlife. He's very clear about that, but just recognizing that we, that our lives have a horizon 
a temporal horizon yeah. and that it, it's going to come to an end actually makes us happier, which is interesting. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's not my it? first reaction, but yeah, but, <laughs> but yeah. I think, but I think also like he's, he's talking about um, a maturity that, mm-hmm. that I think is, you know, there, that are, I would say maybe many in our, many adults in our society mm-hmm. lack that there's a there's a real maturity to to have this pessimism without leading it to despair you know yes, and that's why yes. i think why and the, and that, yeah. yeah go go ahead uh, yeah i don't think that, that pessimism in his case means despair <clears throat> right in right fact, right he thinks that it, it means living well uh and thinking accurately yeah and i think that's completely countercultural to you know a lot of the you know self-help and things like that that are you know you stand in the mirror every morning and you talk about what you're going to manifest that day or something it's just like like i I get it you have to you know vision there's a lot of things sports a lot of things visualize before you actually accomplish and and you know some of that stuff is helpful um but but this idea that we shouldn't uh we should kind of destroy anything that's negative in our in our in our world or worldview no when you were talking about suffering i I remember somebody was uh uh, i forget exactly how the saying goes but it was comparing talking about the suffering even of when you look at just uh countries what has what has that country produced and it was talking about italy and the the Mm. suffering that italy but they're like look at what italy's produced you know michelangelo Uh, and it goes through all these beautiful works of art these artists and all these things and then they're like now look at this you know look at uh uh, what was it look at switzerland they gave us the cuckoo clock you know um (laughs) like the country is just yeah you know there's even the phrase i'm switzerland i'm neutral i'm not going to take any sides i'm going to be this this kind of <laughs> peaceful flowing river throughout yeah, the, you yeah, know, I'm, yeah. I'm not, you know, they're, they, you know, uh, what have they given us? Yeah. The cuckoo clock. Yeah. Right? yeah. Well, uh, to just take a, 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 red, <laughs> a, a, a pot shot. So just, a, uh, uh, they also gave us Hans where Von Bolsas are, but whatever. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> you can take that however you want. Yeah. Um, so again, uh, the pessimist, right. Accepts that suffering is part of life, accepts, that there are limitations, yeah. right, to uh, satisfaction, recognizes those, and even thinks that those limitations are good, and that therefore are some suffering, insofar as you think of limiting satisfaction as a kind of suffering, yeah. uh, unfulfilled desire, right, um, is actually necessary and actually good. Um, the optimist, on the other hand, thinks that dissatisfaction is always bad, thinks that pain is always bad mm-hmm. and thinks that there are no limits. This is, oh, this is so important. There are no limits to satisfaction. And moreover that there are, if there are any, there shouldn't be any. Oh, right? wow. Yeah. Yeah. So there's <laughs> an ethical kind of twist here, right? That sure. this limitation on satisfaction is bad because it causes pain and pain is bad. Right. Um, now, put it that way, it sounds kind of infantile, but to be truthful, like a lot of our politics is run by a kind of infantile enthusiasm. I am, it, I am so tired of hearing people complain about their student loans. Right? I get it, right? Yeah, you yeah. borrowed a lot of money. Did you not know that you had to pay it back? <laughs> That's called a loan. Right. If you're going to, if you're a, if you're going to college, you should be able to understand the definition of a loan. <laughs> I mean, I'm just, just stop it. Stop whining about your student loan. Right. Yeah. Get a job. 
drive <laughs> drive for lift do something right you know like work in a factory pay it off get over it yeah right? or, or, uh, or or be mad at the people that told you to take out eighty thousand dollars to get a degree in a job that'll make you 40 <laughs> right, you know? i mean I, I do get it maybe yeah, you know, yeah should... i get it job of, of, of coaching people up on, on the on, on these matters and it's probably the case that as a society we need to encourage less people to go to overpriced you know uh colleges but at the same time you know like at some point you just have to say you know like yeah i get it that's a pain that it's painful but that's just the nature of taking out a loan right it, yeah it just you know um this is an example um you know uh you know, the pain that we experience in lost opportunities um, and being beaten out in something. I mean, all those are, that's just part of life, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, do you want to get rid of games because somebody has to lose? Well, I hope not. You know, yeah. uh, I mean, there's going to be pain on one side, right? Um, you know, when you're competing, uh, we don't think about, we don't talk about it this way, but when you're competing for a spouse, right? Um, you know, <laughs> somebody's gonna win <laughs> you know like as long as we've got some monogamy kicking around thank god right <laughs> somebody's gonna win right and um do, do we get rid of monogamy in marriage because some people lose yeah uh, no. <laughs> i hope not <laughs> right? uh so anyways the um uh there are just limitations right uh in in terms of of what we can reach in terms of satisfaction uh, an obvious example of this is that you can't have everything Right. Uh, yeah. As much as we want to say you can, you cannot. Right. Whenever you actualize your freedom in choosing one good, right, you close yourself off from other goods, and that's just that's just the nature of life. And if you sit around and think, oh, you know, I got, you know, I married Claire, but that means I can't have sex with Susie. Well, I mean, <laughs> you're just you're you're yes, you're right. You can't have sex with Susie now that you married Claire. Appreciate Claire. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, well, I mean, and I always, I always, I always go back to to because uh, so many of these topics, like if you think about um, parenting, if I were to parent my children this way, you know, like if I were to parent my children with this kind of just naive optimism, you know, you know, like you know, uh, yeah, my kids would be my kids would be spoiled, miserable little human beings but no like you you understand but you also for because you have the perspective of a parent you understand the things of a child or hopefully you should uh, uh fairly well to where you could say no trust me this little suffering is going to bring about a better good uh, uh and you you have that perspective you could see that you know so but as soon as we kind of turn that focus in on ourselves or, or talk about the world or something, we immediately throw out the rationality that we have as parents towards our children, which sure, I, I think sure. sometimes it's, it's so frustrating to watch. It's like, no, yeah, think, yeah. no, like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, um, uh, so those are three, uh, I mean, I to follow up your point. I think so often, again, um, our, politics revolves around kind of with childishness yeah. uh, infantile desires um, that uh, really don't have place in politics or uh, mature self-governance right? right so those are the three main ideas right again one which I right imperfection complexity of human beings second um, that uh, we need to pay attention to the 
first person perspective versus the, the second, uh, the, the we, right? The plural perspective. And then third, uh, just the real difference between pessimism and optimism, uh, which uh, revolves around the idea of limitations to satisfaction. Uh, so those are the three, um, three main ideas he, he wants to bring in here. Um, any, any thoughts or questions about those, Jason? Or Nope, fairly clear. That's where we're going to okay. begin. So where, do, where does he go from here? When he after he, so he establishes applies it, he applies it to several different examples and and I'll just try to highlight some of the main ones here the the each of the book uh, it, after he lays out these ideas at the beginning mm-hmm. he then goes in and um, each chapter uh, not every chapter but most of the chapters concern different kinds of what he calls fallacies right and so these are ways of thinking, political ways of thinking that run afoul of mm-hmm. these three principles yeah. right, that I've laid out. So he lays out his three principles and then he shows you uh, cases where we reject these principles or ignore them and some of the downside uh, of doing so. So one of them uh, uh, is uh, what he calls, uh, so I'm just going to kind of... Sure. Um, one of these is the, what he calls the the best case uh, fallacy. And so this is for the person who only thinks about what's the best case scenario here? Like yeah, yeah. what's the best outcome and doesn't regard uh, the uh, downside at all. So this is uh, like if he, call, he points out, I think accurately, this is sort of the gambler's fallacy or part of the gambler's fallacy, psychologically speaking, right? You're only thinking about, man, it's 100 to one odds. So if I put down a hundred bucks or a thousand, what if I put down ten thousand dollars? Hundred one on this is great. I'm gonna make a ton of money, right? This is awesome. Except that there's a good reason the book he's offering a hundred one right? exactly. And then it's extremely unlikely, right? So, um, <laughs> the, um, um, the, but the, so this is this is problematic, right? Because it. Um, it ignores the reality of the downside. It ignores yeah. the reality of the obstacles. Uh, so one place you can see this um, played out, right, is you know in the, the 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 loan policies, the financial policies that were developed really from the 70s and 80s, with the hopes that using um, uh, Freddie was it Freddie Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac? Is that yeah, what yeah. You're called yeah. Too? yeah. Um, you know, in the hopes that um, home ownership would transform large segments of, uh, which we could say, disadvantaged elements of society. Um, that and, and home ownership can do that, right? Um, usually, though, for those who um, cut spending and create savings, right, for themselves and use those savings, right, to purchase um, to as a down payment to purchase a home. You follow yeah, yeah. me, but. Those it's just too too hard, it's too complicated for lots of people yeah. who are disadvantaged. And so, what we need to do is we need to create loan programs that will make it easier for them to acquire credit, mm-hmm. right? And ignore, get rid of the usual standards and criteria that are required for getting a loan, right? Um, so that you know, when my parents uh, were purchasing a home. You know, it was still the case that it was expected that you had 20% down. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. If you didn't have a 20% down payment, that's it. Right. Well, over time, those things have been eroded. 
right? Yeah. Oftentimes out of an egalitarian ethos, right? The idea that what we need to do is lower these loan standards and we'll get the government to come in and sponsor that part of the risk that the that the banks are taking over, uh, taking on uh, in order to kind of get this social goal, right? Sounds great. So only thing, Sounds great. Let's do, let's let's do, do it. it. Let's do that. Zero percent down. Full let's proof. Go. Full proof. <laughs> Well, we all know how that turned out, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, the, that was obviously that you know the financial collapse was a was a big problem, and it was complicated. And there are other factors in what I'm talking about, but that was certainly a factor, right? Um, and so, just thinking about the base case, best case scenario, like, oh, we're going to transform these uh, segments of society by creating these easy to get loans, sure. right? Um, ignore the downside of there's a reason that we've developed the criteria we did for taking out a mortgage. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Because we found that this is the most trustworthy, these are the most trustworthy borrowers who meet this criteria. Not most yeah. trustworthy necessarily because they're more moral, that might be the case, but because they have the wherewithal, they have the resources to to pay back uh, a loan, right? Yeah. And we found this over time. So loan standards actually, I mean, this sounds mean, right? But they should be high. It shouldn't be easy to get large amounts of credit, right? Yeah. Uh, it should actually be hard. It'd be better for us, right? How many people wish they didn't have a credit card? Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, the ones yeah. with all the debt. They're the ones that... Yeah. yeah, I mean, you get it and you're just sort of like... I mean, a lot of people get it and they and they overuse it and they look back on it and they're like, dang it, that's 10 grand in just consumer debt, high interest, whatever, you know... And then you're digging your way out of that hole for the next five years, right? Yeah. Or six or seven years, right? You know what? It would be better. Even though credit cards sound great, right? It would be just better, right? If you said, if credit card, not everybody was offering a credit card, right? Yeah. Um, but anyway, so that's just another uh, sort of example. So that's the, the best case fallacy. Another uh, uh, fallacy is what he calls the born free fallacy, which uh, I really like. This goes back to really uh, 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 Rousseau. Um, and so Rousseau had the idea, right, that, uh, let me just put it in just a phrase, that man is born free, yet we find him everywhere shack in shackles, oh. right? And so <laughs> the idea here is that really we're not, this is kind of getting at uh, what you were talking about with respect to Dr. Wilson Kelly's class, that really man is naturally free and self-governing and good, uh, but society, right, creates inequalities uh, that make man not free, that make him enslaved, right? And so that it's really society that's the problem, right? Mere, the, the mere conventions of society yeah. uh, repress human beings. Uh, in a lot of ways, Rousseau, you know, can can be a, Rousseau and Voltaire can be associated with, right? The the as the kind of intellectual forebearers of the French Revolution, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, you know. There's a lot to be said against uh, this perspective. And what Scruton wants to point out is, well, actually, self-governance um, is not a given. Um, self-governance is an achievement. And I think that's really worth thinking about. Right? Yeah. You know, self-governance. If you think about freedom as self-governance, right? Okay. right? I mean, gover governing yourself, right? controlling yourself, moving in a logical and rational way from means to a goal, right? To a selected, intended end, you know, picking, selecting means, uh, selecting resources, 
to achieve that end. That's genuine self-governance, mm -hmm. right? He thinks that actually self-governance is not something that we have. Uh, we have the capacity for it, I guess you would say, but not the reality of it uh, yeah. when we're born, right? And, and then to really actualize it, we actually need um, society. So that actually, yeah, yeah. That, that, that learning self-governance requires traditions, it requires family, it requires customs. It requires that, that those societies and customs create limitations, right? That um, actually help us, right? To achieve self-governance. Right. Yeah. Well, which is what my question would be is where if, you know, if we're born free and we're aimed at this self-governance, you know, how do we develop the limits of our govern of our governance to ourselves? Mm -hmm. If not from right. the traditions, right. the the customs, like mm -hmm. you said, from, you know, the the way our parents raised us and all these things like mm -hmm. there, there has to be something something there than this kind of just blank slate kind of discover for yourself the limits right, of your right. own self-governance there has to be something yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so i mean one way to think about it is just think about um your aspirations like what goals are laudable or praiseworthy right well to a large degree and what means are acceptable yeah <laughs> right you know so what goals are, are, are praiseworthy and what means are acceptable we learn those to a large degree uh from custom from our society from our tradition and, you know, it is the case that, that when we accept certain goals, we're excluding others. Yeah. Um, when we accept certain means and, and, and say this group of means is not acceptable, we're introducing limitations, um, you know, but that those actually, that those limitations actually help us, right? So, yeah. I mean, an obvious example of this would be um, um, traffic laws right um you know if you if you don't have traffic laws you know it's you say oh it's so unfair i have to drive on the right side of the road <laughs> like, okay i mean i really want to drive on the left side this is so i think it's not right that cool and i think you know in response to it say well like well there's nothing intrinsically wrong with driving on the on the left side right <laughs> you, know, you could organize it that way we've got to organize it some way yeah, and and once we organize it in some way, it's going to limit and exclude the alternative form of organization. Right. Does there has to, yeah. The yeah. stand when you when you establish a standard, it excludes things that are not the standard. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, right. That's how standards work. <laughs> that's right. Like a, that's a right. foot is twelve inches, which excludes <laughs> 11, 10, 9, right. 13, 14, 15. Right. We have to have like we have to have a standard. I mean, yeah, if you're a construction worker, you understand <laughs> standards and the limits right. to those standards. Like that's yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Like this is actually not gonna be a load bearing wall. Right, like it's not capable of being a load bearing wall because yeah, you yeah. build it out of paper. It's like it's not fair, you know. Like, <laughs> shut up, it's not about fair. Right? Uh, so, anyways, um, you know, so the, the the limitations that our society brings out are actually um, useful and help us to achieve self governance. Yeah. Um, so it's it's the opposite of what we tend to think romantically. We tend to think romantically. Well, if we can just get rid of these social conventions then in fact we could govern ourselves effectively. This is of course most obvious, right? Yeah. In the sexual license of contemporary society, right? Sure. So since the sexual revolution in the 1960s, even if you're not thinking about it in, in, in 
heavily moralistic terms, even if you're not thinking about it theologically. I think you have to say, right, that the kind of sexual license encouraged in the 1960s has been highly destructive, and usually highly destructive, yeah. especially among those who have the least resources to deal with the blowback of um, uh, uh, sexual license. Something that's really interesting that's emerged from the sociological data, uh, from the data of sociology on these issues, is that marriage has, despite what you might think rhetorically, sure, right, from what the way people talk, uh, marriage has declined most amongst the poor. Mm. It's declined the least among the the well-to-do. Um, now, there's some chicken and egg kind of questions here of causality, right? Yeah. Something you can pretty clearly say is that you, you're better off having children in a monogamous relationship, a committed monogamous relationship, um, just from a practical point of view, mm -hmm. right? Um, you have that, that, that partner that can provide you with support, right? Um, you're, you create a network of families that can provide you with support, right? Uh, if you've ever been in a situation where you, you, know, you have to ask you know, an in-law or a parent for some help financially, you know how valuable that assistance yeah. is, oh, yeah. right? Um, and so really there are the, we developed admittedly from a, from a contemporary point of view, restrictive sexual mores, mm -hmm. but those restrictive sexual mores actually kind of helped in ways that I think people didn't realize in the 1960s. They only saw, Oh, this is limiting me. This is keeping me, from being free, when actually governing yourself and, and developing, and I'm trying to avoid moralistic terms here because I just want to right, bring out right, this right. particular point. Yeah. Developing a, a healthy sexual life, uh, developing an effective, just practical life, um, really probably does mean controlling yourself, right? <laughs> uh, and, 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 and limiting yourself and accepting some limitations from your society about that i mean how many people's lives have been wrecked right yeah even if they've subsequently recorded uh, or recovered excuse me uh how many people's lives have been wrecked by excessive licentious sexual behavior outside of just the the morality of it just in terms of the economics of it social reality of it oh yeah physical or psychological harm, right, yeah. that, that accrues, right? Um, so all of those things. Does that make sense, Jason? Yeah, I remember even during the uh, the, the housing crisis, I remember reading an article about, uh, uh, it was kind of, it kind of had a fantastic title, um, but it was, it was uh, tied in with the economics and it was, uh, it said, you know, um, we have a, I don't know, I forget the year, 10 year, 10 year low and the number of divorces happening. But if you read the article, it was all because it costs too much to get divorced. <laughs> so when you combine the cost of divorce with the, the uh, housing crisis and sure. kind of the financial insecurity, uh, uh, people were people were staying together simply because of the finances. So I mean, it was it was just one of those things where uh, uh, when you look at not like you said, not even looking at the moral, spiritual, religious aspects of it in that way, when you look at just kind of the um, uh, the the sheer finances and 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 secular uh, kind of um, issues with it. Uh, uh, it, 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 that license has real and bad effects uh, right, that right, are right. that are uh, that that you can't ignore. 
you can't ignore them. Yeah. And, um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Even when, so I mean, even when you look at, um, you know, the sexual license with regards to, you know, disease, um, mm-hmm. you know, I don't mm-hmm. know how many diseases did not exist, you know, a sure. hundred uh, years ago uh, that now uh, exist because uh, of, right. you know, right. a, as part of this sexual uh, license as an effect of it. So, uh, sure. so yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's this, uh, uh, this, unintended yeah yeah they didn't nobody intends sure. these but but again this is the use of pessimism <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah 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 exactly like yeah it's not the case that this restrictions of society are only restrictive right, right. that actually the limitations we inherit from society often maybe not always but often provide us with the very means for genuine self-governance right sure for genuinely achieving our goals Right. I mean, if you have a bunch of out of wedlock kids and you have no connection with um, the usually the man, it, that just puts you in a bad spot. And yeah, maybe a couple of celebrities, a couple, you know, you know, multimillionaire celebrities can make that all work right in this magical way. But for the vast majority of people, that's a disastrous situation, right? Sure. And they say, oh, the solution is more abortion. Well, probably not, right? That actually yeah. has psychological effects too. Uh, maybe the solution is don't be licentious, right? Maybe that's a bad, you know, maybe that's something you could do, right? Yeah. Um, let me give you one other example of this sure. uh, in terms of self-governance. You know, most people still, even in a society as, as wacky as ours, still want to find, um, at the very least, I would say a monogamous long-term relationship, mm-hmm. right? Uh, again, kind of try to avoid the theological, uh, theological pers- perspective uh, sure, uh, sure, or sure. language. Um, you know, lots of would still would say they want to get married, maybe less than in the past, uh, but they either want marriage or something approximating marriage. Even if they don't call it marriage, yeah, even yeah, if they yeah. don't take vows, they want something that approximates traditional marriage, right? Um, and so uh, you think, okay, that's the goal of a lot of people. You know, maybe they don't, you know, maybe they want to be very casual about how it occurs, right? Or something like that. But then also there's sometimes points in life where people are like, gosh, I really want this to happen. Let's make this happen, right? Well, one of the problems in our contemporary society is it's really hard for people to connect in that way. And one of the reasons it's difficult, there are a variety of reasons, but that we don't have any customs anymore about courtship. Um, yeah, like, like the dating world, right, is just kind of wide open, and it's not like there aren't a set of expectations, right, that are inherited anymore, you know. Yeah, so, like, yeah, when yeah. I first started dating, like, it was you go and ask, you ask a girl out on a date, right, and you go and pick her up in a car, which presupposes you have a car. Right. And that you're trustworthy enough, right, to pick somebody up and be in a car with them, right? Et cetera. You, you see how that goes. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. And you and you take the girl to a restaurant, right? Or something like that, and you spend money. And all that is meant to sh- is a is to show, right, affection or in, or interest. That's what I should say. Interest, interest. right? Um, those kinds of customs and expectations are just you know, some people still have them, but a sure. lot of people don't. And and that's just a minor issue there, but it it, it means that we don't have a language or a set of customs that helps us to navigate that area effectively. Yeah. Or even, or even the fact that that kind of, that kind of relationship or interest is aimed towards marriage. Like you can't, right, even, you right, can't right. even assume that anymore. Right, uh, right, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just, uh, it's, 
the the you know and and even you know i don't know if he addresses this in his book but i mean that that uh, which i mean it sounds very closely related to this kind of born free idea but i mean just the 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 extreme individualism that mm-hmm. uh, that is uh just is all over our society with regards right. to again you know what i want what i want what i want uh, right, um, right. and and not just what i not just what i want according to how i was raised but i define the things right. that i yeah. want yeah. like to right. sure. and, and i think i think like 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 you were pointing out there i think that's one of the most destructive things that that uh um i don't want, i don't mean to sound like an old man here but that that young people <laughs> that young people do i'm not that despite my hairline i'm not that old uh that, that 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 young people do is they they and again this is maybe a characteristic of youth i was once young i understand this but to simply set aside traditions as just some sort of artifact you know um of saying well maybe maybe there you know may, not not just maybe there's a better way but this group was this group was wrong or these traditions have no value you right, know right. And, and so you know even when you look at you know some of the um uh the young people that are coming up you you do have those that are setting aside but also you know it's interesting that you do have a a a set of young people today that are embracing those traditions and saying sure no this is the the, these traditions are a a foundation of of culture Mm -hmm. and if we and if we lose if we begin to lose these uh uh, especially uh, you know in in western culture i mean there's a real movement to preserve Mm -hmm. western culture um, mm-hmm. and a very, in a very healthy, intellectually honest and, mm-hmm. and all of that, you know, uh, sort of way that, yeah. you know, we, we, this, this, this born free kind of thing is just, just <laughs> right. flies in the face of that. Yeah. Flies by that. I, and we have time to do one more, uh, Jason. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Okay. So that, we'll just do what this last one, which is the, uh, chapter, this isn't the last chapter of the book. There's many more. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, this, hopefully this conversation just whets your appetite for for buying the book and reading it uh, but there's uh um another uh chapter is on the utopian fallacy yeah and for those of us who lo- love political philosophy like i do this is just like this was actually just kind of a treat <laughs> like, it was so much fun to read um in fact i might go back and reread that chapter tonight but the um uh the uh here like let's say by utopian fallacy he means conceiving thinking that you can conceive a society in thought that is perfect uh, and that can be realized that's perfect and it's perfect because it's simplistic yeah right uh, and that that society can be realized in complex reality right? So it's this, it's the, the error, the underlying error is simplicity versus complexity, yeah. right? So it's not just that we should, we should think about political things for sure, right? And we should think about them carefully. And we should even think about like what's just, what's unjust, you know, uh, you know, how should society be or things of that nature, that's fine. But we also have to realize that those things cannot, that the reality is not simplistic. Human beings are not simplistic. Uh, societies are not simplistic. In fact, they're very complicated. And so the effort to try to impose a simplicity and an ideal on concrete reality 
without a recognition of the imperfection that will be there, that's the problem. And it can even lead towards real um, totalitarianism, to be frank, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, which is interesting, you know, because here's the thing is you can, you end up saying, well, like, look, you know, I'm give an example here of, of kind of Marxism or the French Republic, uh, French Revolution, you know, what we need is equality. Everyone needs to be equal. Everyone yeah. needs to be absolutely equal. Well, the truth is people aren't equal, right? That's a harsh thing to say. But the truth is, you know, some people are smarter than others. Some people uh, work harder than others. Some people are more attractive than others. And you know what? If you're more attractive, that's an advantage, <laughs> right? Some people are more charismatic than others. Yeah. Um, these are natural inequalities that are part of the human condition. Some, you know, uh, regions are more advantageous than others, right? And if you happen to be born in a disadvantaged region, you're going to, there's going to be inequality there. Oh, sure. it's not fair, right? Yeah. So everything should be equal, right? And so what you try to do is you try to level, right? Um, uh, society in such a way that you, you create a truly, absolutely equal playing field, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> where, you know, even people, even in America, like people say, oh, what we need is really equal opportunity. Well, you know, I, I think what we need is a removal of artificial inequalities. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. But that's different yeah. than saying everybody should have an equal opportunity because the truth is, if you're good looking, you've got a better opportunity than the, than the ugly person, right? If I mean, you, you have know, hair, you have... <laughs> you know, if you're, you know, maybe you're just kind of, maybe you're, you know, not super intelligent, you know? Yeah. Like, you're a disadvantage compared to the person who is very intelligent. So it's just it, equality in that sense of the, as, as in sameness. It's yeah, like yeah. equality before the law, right? That sort of thing. But in terms of the sameness of opportunity or sameness of outcome is simplistic. It's ultimately childish. Um, and, and, and the attempt to impose it upon society um, actually leads to the gulag, right? Yeah. So, I mean, because inequalities will keep reasserting themselves. Right. right? Well, when, in, in, you know, when you think about kind of just the history of, these utopian ideas played out in uh, uh, politics when, you know, people who, you know, took took power and tried to really, you know, uh, um, I'm going to be faithful to Marx, you know, <laughs> and his philosophy. Well, to bring about this equal society, they had to uh, instate huge amounts of terror and suffering and killing sure. and like to bring about this utopian society where yeah, we're all could, free and happy so to, in order yeah. to bring about this happiness we have to literally terrorize millions of people like like right. again you know I, I mean that's where that's where it logically goes but i mean to to simply ignore and ignore, ignore the con like you said ignore the concrete applications uh um when you're when you're thinking about this theoretical sort of uh, government mm -hmm. or or state or something like that is is absolutely uh, it's devastating you know mm -hmm. and the 20th century is proof of that obviously absolutely but, yeah 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 and if you think look if you have the delusion right yeah that you know that that like uh, this sort of simplistic delusion of absolute equality right then you know what you're going to end up with. Uh, is you're going to say, well, look, you know, oh, we haven't produced it yet, 
right? Yeah. Despite all of our noble efforts, what we need is a new five-year plan. Yeah. And in that new five-year plan, we're going to sort of figure out the counter-revolutionary sources that are undermining the, you know, the the goal here, right? And the mission, <laughs> right? So yeah. it's, it's, the, the, the problem is we're just, I mean, this, and this plays out right now, right? Yeah. yeah. In our, and, um, in, in our contemporary culture wars, right, and the culture conf, right, that America and the West is engaged in, you know, um, oh, everything's not equal yet. So the problem is, it's not, oh, maybe we should wake up and realize that maybe, say, men and women are different, right? Yeah. Instead, what we need to do is triple down on it, right? Yeah, well, we need, to, we, need, we, need to, we need to blast, right, men more, or we need to blast, you know, those counter-revolutionary forces in Russia or wherever it is more uh, in order, because that's the real, that, see, they're, I believe in equality. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so, if there is any inequality going on, it's because there's some some counter revolutionary force out there, right, keeping equality from happening. Yeah, or if you have this view of this evolutionary view of history of it's always going mm-hmm. to get better. Well, if I start this revolution, it will speed it up. You know, like <laughs> we can, you know, we can take, yeah. you know, we can take uh, the HOV lane straight to utopia with, <laughs> you know, right. I mean, it's just, it's, it's absolutely maddening. And also, you know, just for, our, just for our listeners sake, the word utopia literally means no place, <laughs> you know, like not going to happen. It's, gonna it's happen. no place. Yeah. All right, Dr. Yeah. Smith, we've, uh, we've reached our, we've reached our time. Uh, I want to encourage our listeners, uh, 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 check out Roger Kooten's book. And uh, on um, the uses of pessimism and the false and the danger of false hope, uh, check it out. Uh, and also, in the meantime, check all of our content out and our courses out at CatholicStudiesAcademy.com. Until next time, God bless.